0: When we start with value and rattle off at the mouth, there's no guarantee that they're actually paying attention to anything we've said because we volunteered the information to them. They haven't asked us for it. And so the way that the brain starts to absorb info is like, am I interested in what you have to say? I'll ask you about it. And if you offer info that I didn't want to know about, even if it's important, I'm probably not absorbing it right now because we didn't start this endeavor with me showing an interest in wanting to know more. People always love to hear about themselves. And when you can start to explain how someone ticks, then it starts to generate and garner interest. Hi, my name is Brandon Voss, and I want you to steal my strategy. You're listening to Steal My Strategy, the show where we talk to smart people who invite you to copy, review, and remix practical ideas you can apply to life and business. Are you ready? Let's get to it.
1: Brandon, we are stoked to have you on the show. I personally am excited about this one because this topic of how to be an effective negotiator is fascinating to me. And I personally believe that everything in life can be negotiated Uh, And so I look forward to hearing your views, learning from you. You are the president of the Black Swan Group. Is that right?
0: That is. That is.
1: And what is the Black Swan Group?
0: So the Black Swan Group is a strategic business advisory firm that helps transform people's approach to difficult conversations and negotiation in general.
1: Okay. I like that. So it's not just negotiating. It's how to approach difficult conversations.
0: That's right. That's exactly right.
1: What's the difference?
0: The real difference is when you're approaching a difficult conversation, you've already decided in your mind it's probably going to be difficult, right? There's a certain amount of probably anxiety that's in addition to a normal negotiation that you're going into, right? You got to have a tough conversation with your spouse. You got to go in, you got to reprimand an employee, or you got to manage up with a boss that has got us on the wrong track. You know you're getting ready to have a difficult conversation. Uh, Negotiation in general is just two parties coming together to figure out if they can make an agreement, but difficulty gets added in as any negotiation proceeds because you're starting to look around new corners, you're starting to discover new information, and the difficulty has a tendency to rise as the process
1: goes on. Yeah, I can relate to that. So I want to break up this discussion a bit, Brandon, as we learn from you today. And I want to frame those two things separately. Because I think especially for financial advisors, they have a lot of difficult conversations with clients. For example, no, you you shouldn't keep supporting that deadbeat child and draining all your retirement resources. And boy, that's an emotional issue, right? But then negotiation is not necessarily something that they they probably think about a lot in their business. So I want to talk about those things separately and see what we can help them learn. So this first point you mentioned about difficult conversations. And when you're going into that with anxiety, so let's say that's your trigger, right? I know, mm-hmm. I know I'm about to have to face this challenging dialogue with someone. What are some tools that you would give me in that situation to prepare and approach it in a productive way?
0: Yeah. 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 Very good. Very good. So on the mental side, when we let go of the value we're bringing to the table, it frees up headspace to start to look into their situation very closely. right? It actually takes up mental work when we're focused on how we're going to explain how valuable we are. That's their mental parts that are just offline and are not focused on the counterpart. So making that mental switch is a big start. The other part of it is, even if you're a financial advisor that's only been in the game for a short period of time, you've already got a really good feel for what a lot of people are bringing with them when they talk to a financial advisor. And if you've been in the game 20, 30 years, you got a really good feel for that, right? There's certain, there might be financial pitfalls that they're trying to avoid depending on how wealthy they are, as you mentioned, right? Supporting the deadbeat kid, right? That nephew that, that isn't worth a damn, but the family's wealthy. And so, right, we've managed this situation or they're trying to avoid an economic downturn. You know, you got a really good feel for what some of those things are, and you want to lead with those when you start the conversation, as opposed to, you're here because I'm awesome. The conversation becomes, you're here for these five reasons. You came into my office because you want to address these three to five things. And you're talking to a financial advisor to figure out who you can trust the most with your money.
1: Mm. So take me back to that point that you made about not trying to prove value. So if I'm a financial advisor and somebody comes in and I'm saying, okay, these are the types of things I help my clients with. This is what typically is of concern to individuals like you. This is how I can help. Mm -hmm. Isn't that exactly what I'm doing? Aren't I explaining my value to them in that conversation? But you said that's not what we're doing. So help me get that nuance down here.
0: Yeah, no, really interesting uh, nuance there. And so both approaches show value. The The reality here is which verbalization of value can they actually absorb? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if you're a financial advisor or you're in any service business, no matter what, they're going to want to get to the point where you tell me what you do and how you do it. They're going to want to get there. Now, our job is to allow that to happen organically as opposed to forcing that into the conversation out of sequence. Mm -hmm. And so when we start to verbalize an understanding of them this is why you're here it allows them to seamlessly transition into you know what i'd like to hear more about what you have to say you have shown a clear understanding of why i came in the room and why i would look for a financial advisor anyway how do you do what you do like what what are the top two things that you do to help your clients that question is coming allow them to ask it because it also shows that they're paying attention to you when we start with value and rattle off at the mouth there's no guarantee that they're actually paying attention to anything we've said because we volunteered the information to them. They haven't asked us for it. And so the way that the brain starts to absorb info is like, am I interested in what you have to say? I'll ask you about it. And if you offer info that I didn't want to know about, even if it's important, I'm probably not absorbing it right now because we didn't start this endeavor with me showing an interest in wanting to know more. Yeah. people always love to hear about themselves. And when you can start to explain how someone ticks, then it starts to generate and garner interest.
1: So, Brandon, I think this is a very fascinating approach to doing business. I want to make sure I got this right, that I understood what you said. You're essentially saying flip the script. When people come in, don't make it about you, don't talk about the value you give, because then you're just selling and they're tuning you out. Instead, Talk to them about the problems that you know they likely have. Do discovery, adapt your approach to their actual circumstances, and wait for them to get all that out. And then say, How can you help me before you start talking about the value you give? Did I get the point?
0: That's right. That's right. And actually, I hope everyone paid really close attention to how Robert started to lay out his summary. And he did it very respectfully and very cautiously. And he said, I want to make sure I have this right, which opens himself up to correction, which is a great thing. People love to correct. And then you went all the way into it and said, right, what did I miss? Or I forget exactly how you ended it. That's a great way to start to verbalize what you gathered during guided discovery as a financial advisor when you're dealing with a client, almost exactly the way Robert did. Now, let me uh, please, please forgive me. I want to make sure I have this right before we move forward so we know that we're on the same page. Here it is. Did I miss something? Like, that's a great way to put a nice little bow on your guided discovery piece. I love that. That's a great, great example.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. See, I'm already learning from you, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, So all of this is very practical. Yes. It's a good approach. I see how you could use this, not just in difficult conversations, but really in all types of business settings, where you're dealing with any challenging issues, emotionally charged issues, things where people have a lot of feelings, concerns, or questions about?
0: Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Something else I would add, kind of what you mentioned earlier about putting yourself second, putting yourself in the back seat. Another reason we use tactical empathy in our approach to people is because it also makes us sound different than everybody else. It's not typical for human beings to start a conversation by saying you're gonna hate this and then lay it out right we like to say things like I hope you don't hate this or I hope it doesn't sound disrespectful and here it is you automatically sound different when you do the former and that's the same thing with our natural approach here to negotiation because as soon as you start leading with your value and why you're important to them you sound like every other financial advisor that they've ever talked to and now you've just been categorized as the dime a dozen versus the trusted advisor that stands
1: out. Yeah, I love it. So let's go back to some things that might happen in a difficult conversation. I know you teach about a principle called how to do an accusation audit. So I'm imagining somebody comes in and and they are, this is a charge situation. They are hurling some accusations Mm -hmm. at me. And I I want to diffuse this. I want to make it a productive conversation. Right now, I'm just feeling deflated, frustrated, attacked, what can I do, Brendan?
0: Great question, great question. And so there's basically two forms of the accusations order. two ways that you can utilize it in the moment. And one is preemptive and one is essentially reactive or responsive. And so the situation Robert was just describing is you are in fact being attacked, you are in fact being accused of doing things poorly or having screwed up their week or whatever the case may be. And the accusations ought to used there would essentially be responsive or reactive because they've thrown accusations at you. Now we got to diffuse them, we got to address them. We cannot avoid the elephant in the room. And you would want to start with things along the line of clearly you are upset about these things. And you can lay out what these things are because they just told you. And then the hard part is taking responsibility for what they feel for what drama or problems that you have caused in their life to the tune of, I know when we did this, when I did this, it affected you negatively in these ways. In addition, you're concerned about what our future relationship looks like. And you want to make sure that we're on solid ground, right? Whatever that is, whatever they're uh, exhibiting emotionally, that's a great way to end it. You want to get conclusion to this effort. Right. And you can what's great is they've just given you all the ammunition. Now it's just a matter of using it and structuring it properly in the form of an audit. Clearly, this is a problem for you. I know I did this. Now the other version of the audit we've somewhat alluded to during this interaction of being able to state someone's position to them before they've opened their mouth. That's our preemptive accusations audit, right? Our, our let's get out in front of things and start to set expectations right out the gate. And that's where the classic things come into play that the financial advisors that are listening have a really good feel for. Why do people want to talk to a financial advisor? Well, because they got money, to, money that they need to invest and they want it taken care of and they want it to solidify their future. They want to be able to put themselves in a place where they can retire early or set their kids up to retire early or allow them to start whatever businesses they want, right? You got a good feel for those things and you can start to predict. Essentially the gut reaction That all of our listeners have, as an expert in their field, verbalize what your gut's telling you when a new client comes in the room as to why they're there, because chances are you'll be extremely accurate. And the other great thing about the audit is when you say things like, I know this, and you probably feel this way, and I'd imagine if you are incorrect, they're happy to step in and correct you and get you back on the path. Hmm. That's the other thing that's great about this approach is if correction is necessary, they're happy to step in. And the other thing is people tend to be extremely honest when they correct. Hmm. We all worry about dealing with liars. One way to make sure somebody's not lying is when they feel like they're correcting or fixing a problem. And so how do we allow them to do that? Well, accusations are one of those ways.
1: Interesting. I can see why that would be effective, but something about it rubs me the wrong way because As I was listening to you and trying to put myself in that position, I was feeling like I have to accept a lot of blame here. You're basically saying like, yeah, you know, these people can hear all these accusations. And instead of defending myself and setting them straight, you're telling me to to take the blame?
0: You know what? Essentially, that's a great way to look at it. That's a great way to look at it. So if we back up to like we're triggered, we get defensive. We feel like we have to set them straight. Our cognitive ability has just decreased substantially because we're in a triggered negative emotional state ourselves. And so our ability to actually think goes way down, right? If you've read the Never Split the Difference talk about people's brains work up to 31% better in a positive frame of mind. Now, imagine if we're in a negative frame of mind. That's where we volunteer ourselves to go. When we get defensive, we get triggered, and we feel like we need to set them straight. Another piece of that, a classic cliche that we use quite often is if you can taste how good the words are going to be rolling off your lips, they're probably the wrong words. (laughs) And so that falls right into that category. And then this this right fight of like, I'm attacking you and no, you're wrong. Let me defend myself. Now you're, you're not negotiating. You're just having a right fight, right? You're right. I'm right. Who's right? The other piece of this is again, it's focused on their perspective. And so in our perspective, we're not responsible for this. We don't actually deserve to be yelled at in this way. And in fact, you got people on your team that are supposed to handle this. Like we're not even technically accountable for this aspect of our agreement. However, you're coming at me as if it's all my fault. That's our perspective. And that's why tactical empathy is so hard because your ability to influence in that moment has nothing to do with your own perspective. However, we're completely blinded by what we think versus what they think. Now, we can completely flip the dynamic when we can accurately step out of it, when we can step out of ourselves and accurately verbalize to them exactly how they feel. And if they're telling us this is important to them, and if we respond with defensiveness and telling them why we're right and they're wrong, we are completely ignoring what's important to them. And how can we be a trusted advisor if we constantly deal with someone in a way where we are discounting how they feel about
1: a situation? Wow, that's insightful. The expression you've used a couple of times, which I don't think we've explained yet, is tactical empathy. Can you just define that for us?
0: Sure, yeah. Tactical empathy, simply put, is the calibrated application of emotional intelligence. And this is an actionable item. I think that, you know, especially when we get confused in conversations between sympathy and empathy, we equate both to like a feeling. Right. I need to feel this in order to execute that. That's true when it comes to sympathy. We have no use for sympathy. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, negative. If we take on negative emotions, it affects our ability to think. So I don't need to absorb your negative emotions. I don't want to be sympathetic. However, I do want to be empathetic and empathy. As we define it, is an actionable item. I don't need to feel what you feel or even fully understand what you feel. And I especially don't need to agree with what you feel in order to state it. If Robert and I were talking and Robert said, the sky's green, my instant reaction is going to be, no, it's not, the sky's blue. Everybody knows the sky is blue. Don't you know the sky is blue? Look at the sky, it's blue. I'm completely ignoring Robert's perspective. I don't have to agree or understand in order to look at Robert and go, when you look up at the sky, clearly what you see is green because that's Robert's perspective. And to him, that is what's true. Now, as a negotiator, do I have the ability to state what my counterpart sees is true or not?
1: Hmm. And what you're saying is, what's wrong with that, right? Why not? If that's what they see, go ahead. That's what they see, restate it. It establishes empathy, relatability, And it builds a place for you to start working from.
0: Yep. Rapport and respect. And that's the other thing. And and some of our listeners have probably come into this. The really savvy negotiators, those guys that have been around us for hundreds of years negotiating deals, they will test you just to see if you have the ability to align with their thought process. And if your natural state is, I present you with a problem. And now instead of addressing my problem, you're going into your value then I already know we don't need to work together. And so the other thing is people will test you to see if you can actually verbalize what they see. We never want to miss the opportunity to do so.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, actually, as a financial advisor, you're often dealing with successful business people exactly. who've accumulated wealth because they are good negotiators. Exactly. <laughs> so it's possible they could be testing your EQ. They could be testing your business savvy by actually starting a negotiation and just seeing how you react to it, couldn't they?
0: Yeah, no, that's a a great way to put it. I mean, another part of this is like, you represent a large amount of their assets and what they need to know for themselves is how are you going to represent me when I'm not in the room? And if you and I talk and we're constantly misaligned and we're yelling at each other, how can I be confident You're going to do a good job on my behalf on the outside. We can't interact amicably. Why would I think that you're going to go out and do a wonderful job on my behalf when I'm not here? And so that's right. As people are evaluating a financial advisor and who to work with, those things definitely come into play.
1: Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about negative conversations and how to deal with those. I, I really appreciate what you've shared. We're getting into negotiation a bit more, and I'd like to do that, actually. One of the things maybe you can help me understand Brandon, I think could be a misconception is that I'm in a service business. I charge a fee for that service. What I charge is what I charge. So I don't have to negotiate. I'm not selling cars. Why do I have to learn to negotiate?
0: That's a great point. That's a great point. And what I will say at its root, that is in fact the attitude you should have. My price is my price. I do not compromise on my price and I do do not compromise on the product or service that I'm going to give you, right? You're going to get elite services from me. You're going to have to pay an elite price to do it, right? The the old adage, a professional is expensive and an amateur costs a fortune. You want to deal with a professional and that's who you're talking to, right? So I I do, I love that attitude. That should be something that we all keep internally so that we do not compromise our positions. Now, To bridge the gap, that does not equate to us dealing with potential clients that are going to have their own whacked-out perspectives. They will have been burned by people in this industry that look just like me, and now they're super sensitive to their previous experiences. And then they're going to have think we're going to have disagreements. This is kind of how human beings work together. We're going to disagree, and then we're going to have to figure out how to work our way through it. So. That should be instinctually how we feel about our price and our service, but then also understanding that that does not discount how human beings actually tick. No matter how bad I want to just be like, ah, I don't have to negotiate because this is what it costs, human beings don't actually work that way in business. And so we have to learn how to play the game. We got to learn how to play it well, right? You can play basketball like um, um, you know some no-name basketball player that made a roster and still made a couple million dollars in the process, or you can go get in the gym and play like Kobe. And it's completely up to us which one we do.
1: Yep. Yeah, no doubt. Well, because this is what you do all the time, help us understand some of the principles of successful negotiation, being a a good negotiator. What are some of the primary things that you teach first principles?
0: Yeah, first principle. Going back to mindset. Stay curious. Always aim to be in a curious mindset. And there's there's mul- there's multifaceted. Number one, emotionally managing our own emotions and our own triggers. It's very difficult for us to be genuinely curious and also extremely upset at the same time.
1: Yes, emotions, it is.
0: Yeah, they're just too far apart. We can't actually feel both. And so that's kind of a mental place to keep us in line is if we just focus on being curious, it'll limit how angry we actually get And anger is going to, right, the ripple effects are obvious there. That's one piece of it. Another piece of it is with the curiosity aspect, our inner voice tends to betray our outer voice. And so as much as this whole fake it till you make it, right, put on a happy face thing, especially when you're dealing with experienced people, that toxic or hot energy that you have internally that you're trying to tamp down, it's going to come out in your demeanor, whether we like it or not. And so, again, if we stay curious, our ability to be upward inflecting in our tone, upward inflection, and be uh, sound, collaborative, and easy to talk to happens much quicker, right, if we stay in a curious mindset. And then another big piece of this is positive emotions are always reinforced when we label them. Negative emotions are always diffused when we label them. Now, those are opposite, right? We're doing the same action. We're labeling a piece. And in one case, it enforces it. But if we label it here, it doesn't reinforce it. It actually diminishes it. It makes it go away. And that's actually how emotions work when it comes to labeling positives versus negatives at the table. That's really hard to wrap our minds around because we're always afraid of introducing negatives. And I don't know how many negotiation experts throughout time have said, and interviewers and PR people have said, you never introduce a negative. Never, never, never introduce a negative, right? They're going to they're gonna burn you over that. Introducing a negative and addressing a negative that our counterpart already sees as being true are two slightly different things. Ah. And the latter, addressing what they see as true, again, goes back to this elephant in the room thing, diffusing negative obstacles so that we can start to collaborate much better. And so then addressing the negative head on by labeling becomes much more of a requirement than a nice to have.
1: So stay curious, that'll help you from getting triggered. Keep your tone, that'll help you keep your tone up. Mm -hmm. And label everything. The negatives that they bring out, label those. You don't have to introduce your own, but also label the positives because the weight will be added to the positive thing.
0: That's exactly right, that's exactly right.
1: And when you say labeling, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so
0: label is just simply a, a verbal observation or a verbal statement. That actually starts with it seems like, it sounds like, it looks like, or it feels like. We go into great detail in the book, so I won't waste the time with it here. But the purpose is continued alignment, continued understanding. But more than anything else, right, we've always talked about active listening and negotiation. And no one really knows what active listening is. A lot of us equate it to, well, keep your ears open and keep your mouth shut. And I'm actively listening. And that is not what active listening Active listening has much more to do with, can I not only pick up on the subtleties in what you're telling me, but then verbalize it so that we can create trust-based influence. Mm -hmm. And then kind of what what goes along with that is, am I doing a good job prompting you to tell me the things that I need to know? And that's where active active listening is very much something we have to participate in with our words. Mm -hmm. And being able to label and prompt the right information. We had a, a real estate uh, client of ours that described labels as the best way to unlock the floodgates of truth talk. And so we want to get that gate open as often as we possibly can. A label is a great way to do it without a whole lot of mental effort on our side. Because we're just labeling what they give us.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: we're not creating it from scratch. Wow.
1: Well, I'll tell you, this has been very enlightening, Brandon. I I feel like I'm going to be more effective during difficult conversations already just from the things that you've shared. In reading your book and listening to other podcasts and things like that, there are some other tactics, for lack of a better word, that you've shared that I I think are very powerful and I've been able to use them. So I want to just touch on a few. One is about the power of silence. Mm. And I can't remember exactly the the terminology you used, but the concept I remember is not to rush to fill the silence when it occurs. Can you just tell us a little bit about that?
0: Sure, sure. So yeah, again, another, another one of our negotiation cliches, he or she who breaks silence first loses, right? Along those lines. But then more specifically, when it comes to executing dynamic silence, it's about creating an intentional void in the conversation that the counterpart is obligated to fill. And one of the ways that you create this intentional void is with your cadence in the conversation. So the first thing is always feel free to take your time. We always run into this like this, this subconscious feeling of like, if I don't get this out right now, I'm not going to get a chance to say it. Right. I have to get this off my chest or we're going to lose the opportunity. That's actually a myth that we build up for ourselves, right? That's us compromising our own position. And so if we can let go of that. Being silent becomes that much easier. So that's one piece of it. The other thing is when we're using skills like labels, accusations, audits, we tend to have an abrupt stop at the end of what we say. And there's two reasons for that. One is because that's where we create the intentional void, right? They're listening to us. They're absorbing. And then we just shut up all of a sudden, right? The road just ends and there's a clip there and the counterpart standing on the edge of this clip. And it's like, okay, well, if I want the road to continue, I guess I got to say something. And we can actively create that feeling. The other thing is, especially with skills like the accusations audit, subconsciously, our counterparts are waiting for us to say, but, right? You're probably worried about financial advisors that you've dealt with in the past. I'd imagine you've had a bad experience. You left a bad taste in your mouth. And you want to make sure that you're dealing with the right, trusted advisor. But you don't need to feel that way because I've been in this business for 30 years. And I know exactly what your needs are. You've just messed up your accusations audit because you threw in the butt and then you segued into explanation. People are waiting for that moment. And when we don't allow it to happen, it's actually a huge sigh of relief because it's like, yeah, you're on point. I, I did have bad experiences. Yeah, you know what? I'm just waiting for you to say, but and explain to me why my feelings are invalid because that's what everybody does. And when you don't engage in that and you replace it with an intentional void, not only do they have the time to process and be like, wow, it's a breath of fresh air to deal with you, Robert. Then they can gather themselves and give us pertinent information that generally leads to black swans.
1: And I want to ask you about that as well. So you just left it open for me. Black Swans, obviously the name of your company. What does this come from? What does it mean?
0: Yeah, so, and it's not the ballerina black swan, right? It it comes (laughs) prior to that. Uh, There was a book about the black swan that, uh, that really focused on pieces of information. And so simply put, those innocuous pieces of information that if discovered would completely change our outcome. And so as a financial advisor for a potential client to go into great detail about the last relationship they had and why it went bad. And the things they never want to see again and the apprehensions that they had about that financial advisor when they came in. And I should have listened to my gut because I knew this guy was sleazy. And then these things happen. Those are all black swans. And if we can get someone to lay that out for us, we have a great blueprint for how we should move forward because we already know what things to avoid because they just laid it out for us. And so if we can discover these innocuous pieces of information, we can, in fact, come to better deals. We contend that there's anywhere from three to five black swans in any conversation that we have.
1: Wow. And if you just don't say, but you might actually get some out of people.
0: That's, you know, that's a great, <laughs> I had a, a, a mentor say this to me years ago and it has always stuck with me. It's just a goofy little saying. And, and it was, you never want to put your butt in somebody else's face. And that has mentally helped me <laughs> stay stay away from that three-letter word as, as often as I can.
1: There you go. So if I get nothing else out of this interview, it's stay curious and keep your butt out of people's face. <laughs> That's
0: it, man. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for everything you've shared. It's evident that this type of behavior leads to more productive relationships. And and that's what we really appreciate. I know that's important for advisors. It's important for all of us in life, even in our personal relationships. Uh, we can apply these things. So thank you. If people want to know more about you, the work you do, where can they find you online?
0: Yeah. And and one quick thing before I throw that in, I hope everybody's paying attention to Robert's voice. He's got a great late night FM DJ, smooth talking, easy <laughs> to approach voice. It's a great tone to carry into a negotiation. So I just I just want to throw that out. Kudos to you, man. But yeah, so if you want to keep track of us, easiest thing to do we got a weekly newsletter that comes out called The Edge. If you text Black Swan Method, caps don't matter, three separate words with so space between each one to the number three three seven 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 from your cell phone, right? SMS message. You will be prompted to sign up for our weekly newsletter. It's free. Hits your inbox Tuesday morning about 9 a.m. your local time. It's always under a thousand words and it's usually based on a topic that's come directly from a fan.
1: I love it and well worth subscribing to. Thank you. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Brandon, in conclusion, you know, this podcast is called Steal My Strategy. I feel like we've already given people so many gems, but I want to give you one last opportunity. If there is something that we should be stealing, from your strategy that you didn't get to talk about today, I want to give you the chance to end on that note.
0: Ah, uh, That's great. Thank you, man. Throw me an alley-oop here at the end. I like it. So going back to dynamic silence, I am naturally an assertive. And so that means that I love to be aggressive at the table. I love to do the talk and I like to be in control verbally. So I got to fight that constantly. And I have always struggled with dynamic silence myself. There's many people do. One of the ways that I've manage to keep myself in my chair is I actually count one thousands when I know I'm getting ready to go silent on someone. So one, 1,000, two, 1,000, if you like for Mississippis, feel free to steal that. I count mentally. And I will tell you, I've never counted past 12, 1,000 before a counterpart has broken the silence. So start to get your own tallies by doing your own counting. And then on average, people jump in between two and three Mississippis they're going to jump in. That's our average. So feel free to play with that. Use it as a mechanism to stay in your chair. It helps keep me from talking if I'm just counting in my head.
1: I'll be doing that. There'll be some Mississippis in my future. Brandon, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for being with us on Steal My Strategy.
0: Thanks for having me. This was fantastic.